and uh, wish we could all be together, but I know these are difficult times, and so glad that we have this resource to worship with you. So uh, as you are watching or as, as you are coming in, wait, I don't have to wear this while I'm up here. Uh, that's better. So uh, glad that you could join us, and uh, as you're trickling in and as you are watching, uh, you've, I'm sure, made an obvious observation, and that is that... Uh, uh, this isn't Devin. Uh, Devin is actually away on a mini vacation uh, in Kentucky visiting family. And so uh, I've asked uh, uh, my friend Chris Allen to come and join us and lead us in a time of worship. Uh, I've known Chris since I think 2012, 2013, sometime around there. We were in the same church at uh, First Baptist Church of Sudbury in Massachusetts, where he was leading uh, the worship. He was the worship leader, and Kaylin and I were members there, and we interned there. And so we've been able to serve together in that context, and since then he's been now uh, the creative arts pastor at Banner Hill Church in Framingham, right, and heavily involved also in uh, Framingham State University, although it's very different because of COVID, but uh, uh, he's uh, uh, glad that you could be here, and he's a dear friend of ours, and uh, the Lord has has been good uh, to him and his family. He also has a wife and daughter, and so he's a really busy man, and so thankful that he could come up and uh, lead us in time of worship. So I'm going to read to us our call to worship. We'll sing a couple songs, then we'll pray and get into the sermon and conclude with a couple more songs. So our call to worship this morning is found in John 16, verse 13, where it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's join our hearts to the Lord to uh, worship him through some songs. Amen. So I invite you to stand this morning as we're just going to sing these praises to God. And Our God is so great. What a beautiful truth to get our brains around this morning that who are we that God would even be mindful of us. Amen. Who are we that he would not just be mindful but welcome us into his family. He's such a great God. Let's just give him praise. Who am I the highest
my father's house. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Amen. Fill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Come on, this is what we do today. So praise the Father, praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings, to reveal the kingdom come. To reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake you died. stone was moved for good come on for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born there the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, it shall not faint. And by his blood and in his name and in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. We sing it so praise the 
Sing it out, you sing it. and have a seat. Man, I'm going to read to us from John 16. Verse 9, sorry, verse 8, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. And when he comes, that is the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Holy Father, we praise you for your spirit who abides with us and especially abides with your church. We thank you because your spirit communicates your abiding presence with us, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, because you have not left your church alone, but you remain with her and you help her and you comfort her and you remind her of gospel truths. Father, we pray that you would help your church, that you would help us to be a people of conviction, that you would help us to hold firmly to the truths that have been given to us in the scriptures. Help us to hold firmly to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that we would not compromise that truth, but we would Hold on to it no matter what happens in the world, no matter the the challenges, the temptations that may come our way, that we may hold firmly to these truths because it is these truths that save us. We pray for those who are, are, are suffering, who are going through challenges and difficult seasons in their lives, Lord, in this moment. We pray that, that these things that are happening to them may not weaken their faith, or tempt them, Lord, to, to forsake the God that loves them. But in these trying moments that they may hold even more firmly to the truths that you teach us through your word, that they would be an anchor to their soul. 
We pray that you would encourage your people, sustain them, and help them, provide for them. And that you would heal those who need healing. Father, we pray for, we pray for the VCNE. We thank you, Lord, for their ministry and their support of many churches in New England. We pray that you would continue to be with them and, and provide for them and help them, Lord. We pray for all the staff. We pray that you would draw them closer to you, that they may continue to rejoice in the truths that are described to us in your word. We pray that you would protect their, their families, that you would bless them. God, we pray for just New England in general. Lord, we pray for a great revival. We pray for hearts to be broken. We pray for the Spirit's conviction to come upon unbelievers. Father, we pray that you would restore to us a, a great awakening like that we saw during the days of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. God, that you would even raise up such men in our generation. God, we pray that you would use your church as a catalyst for revival. Father, we pray for New Life Baptist Church. We pray for the saints who gather. We pray that you may sustain them and help them. We pray that your spirit would continue to abide with them and communicate the, the loving presence of Jesus. That your spirit would comfort them and help them. And that you would continue to lavish upon them your great grace. Father, we pray for our country. We pray specifically against uh, abortion. Father, we are disappointed in just the recent decisions from coming from the Supreme Court and for many, for many Christians, from even for many uh, conservatives, Lord. It's incredibly disappointing, but we know that our hope and trust does not come from the Supreme Court, but it only comes from you. But we do pray, Father, that we would be able to see in our lifetime, Lord, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We pray that there would be a greater protection for the life that is in the womb. We pray for more resources. We pray for a conviction upon families, for moms who are considering an abortion, that they would be open to other resources, to other ways, God, that does not end with the with the destruction of a human life. Father, we pray for those who work in the medical profession, from clinics to hospitals. We pray that you would sustain them. We thank you, Lord, for the great work, especially in, in these times, uh, during this time of pandemic. We pray that you would sustain them and give them rest. We pray for your people who are working in these in these areas, in these different contexts, we pray that you would help them to continue to proclaim the gospel, to exemplify the gospel in their, in their work areas. Father, we thank you for giving us this time. We thank you, Lord, that you listen to our prayers. And we pray now the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So please turn with me to John chapter 16. Pick it up in verse 4, or specifically verse 4b. Some of your Bibles may have uh, cut off a section right in uh, the middle of verse 4 of chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray over the, the preaching and teaching of your word. We pray that your spirit would abide with us and plant these truths deep within us and convict us of these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Compromise kills conviction. That is, when we continually compromise with truth, with what we know what is to be right, then over time, as we continue to compromise what we are convicted to know, what we are convicted to know what is right, then it weakens our conviction, deteriorates that conviction, and ultimately can kill our convictions. That is why for some. For many people in the world who exhibit bad patterns of behavior or given themselves to things that aren't acceptable and they know that they are bad, they lose a conviction over those things so that the line between what's right and what's wrong becomes blurred and even becomes, even become persuaded that, that what's wrong isn't actually that wrong at all. As we continue through this farewell discourse, we come to another teaching on the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, specifically the work of conviction. And this work doesn't happen until first Jesus departs, and then this ministry of the Holy Spirit can take place. But before we get to this work of the Holy Spirit, let's first talk about the advantage of Christ's departure. Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Twice, 
the disciples had asked Jesus, where are you going? First by Peter, and then later on by Thomas, where he says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? And now Jesus says, this time you don't ask me where I'm going. And in part, it's because he's already explained to them at least several times where he's going. He's going to the Father. But it doesn't mean that they fully understand what Jesus is talking about. At this point, they haven't fully embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as the Son of God. They haven't fully understood the mission of Jesus Christ, that he must come, that he must die, that he must rise from the dead, and that he must ascend into heaven to return to the Father. They've yet to understand those things. And so... At the same time, they're filled with sorrow. Their hearts are swelling up with sorrow. And in part because they don't understand these things, even though Jesus has told them where he's going, their hearts are swelling up with sorrow because they're feeling, I think, a sense of lostness. They spent three years with Jesus, learning from him, being taught by him, seeing his miracles, being led by him. Jesus has become much more than just a teacher. He's become a dear friend. And now Jesus says that he's leaving He's departing. So what are they to do? What are they supposed to do with their life? Are they supposed to go back to fishing? Right, for many of them, for all of them, they've left things behind. They've left families. Matthew, the tax collector, right, who left the tax collecting booth, praise the Lord for that. But he was well off financially than anybody else, probably. Peter had a wife. And he didn't leave his wife. Jesus would never advocate for that. But following Jesus required him to be apart from his wife, surely, for long periods of time. Are they just simply to go back to the way things were, pretend like this relationship never happened? If you've ever felt lost before, like you didn't know where to go, what direction to take, then you know what that's like. You know what these disciples are feeling at this point. They don't know what to do. So naturally, their hearts are filled with sorrow and confusion. They might wish, well, they do wish, that Jesus would continue to be with them, to remain with them. Right, and as Christians, maybe you said this yourself, or heard other people say that, to say that, I wish that Jesus were still here, that here presently, physically, bodily, that he was still here. Right? And that's, that's not a bad desire. But I would argue that if Jesus was here presently, even just sitting right here in the front row, one, I would be a very nervous individual. But at the same time, I would say that we should be pretty concerned if he's here. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away which is a surprising statement. Jesus remained with disciples until he departed. And his departing from his disciples gives us a sense of accomplishment. Jesus leaving and ascending and returning to the Father means the mission was accomplished. And so if Jesus was still to remain with his apostles as they continued to preach the gospel as the, we saw the first church formulate in the book of Acts, as Jesus, if Jesus continued to be through his church throughout the ages to this present day, that we should be very concerned because it might indicate to us that the mission wasn't accomplished, that the work wasn't actually completed. 
Because the scriptures tells us, and you can read this in Ephesians, that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. He's sitting in the heavenly places. That he is sitting indicates to us, it teaches us that the work is completed because you don't sit down unless the work is done. When you undertake a project, when you're renovating a particular room in your house, you work day in and day out. You work week after week till it's done, and you don't really take a rest until it's completed. That Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God at this very moment, and that he is not here for us to see with our own eyes as a reminder to us that the work has been done. Because if the work isn't done, then that we would still be in our sins. And if we are still in our sins, then there is no church. But the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he was received back into heaven to the throne room of grace, means that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that it was that he paid the penalty for our sins completely. And so it is, it certainly is to our advantage that Jesus isn't here physically to see him with our very eyes. And let's not forget that in his place we have the Holy Spirit of God abiding with us. So it certainly is to our advantage that Jesus is not here. And then we come to some teaching on the Holy Spirit, specifically that the Spirit convicts concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, after Peter gets up to preach the first sermon, or at least the first gospel Christ-centered sermon, in response, at the very end, Peter concludes in verse 36 of Acts 2, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then the crowd responds, and they say, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What a great question. And that question comes out of a spirit-born conviction. The spirit cuts to the heart when he convicts someone of sin. These people, this crowd was convicted of their sin, and they're trying to figure out what do we do now? How do we respond? Kayla and I, and along with some friends, have been listening to some, some, some lectures on, on parenting. And the teacher talks about how, this, uh, uh, how their daughter, I think it was their daughter, fought, she found her daughter, I think, weeping in the, in the stairs, and she goes to her and he asks, what's wrong? And the girl responds by saying, I don't know what to do about my sin. That's what happens when the Spirit convicts. You respond, I have no idea what to do about my sin. That's what the Spirit does. He convicts the world of sin. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about how there are people who will judge others of wrongdoing when they themselves, the judge, are doing the very same things. And Paul goes on to say, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance, not knowing that God's, right, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And the Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that godly 
sorrow produces repentance while worldly sorrow produces death. That while some may see the grace of God as a license for sin, when the Spirit comes and convicts a person of sin, they do not see the grace and the kindness and the mercy and the forgiveness of God as a license for sin, but they see it as a, as a, as a, as a means to repentance. They see the grace of God and they're convicted and they want to turn to the Lord. They want to run to Jesus Christ. And worldly sorrow might produce good results here in this life. And praise the Lord for that. That's how some people turn away from bad living to healthier lifestyles. But it has no eternal benefit. But godly sorrow, godly sorrow recognizes that not only do your sins offend other people, but ultimately your sins offend God. And in response, you turn away from sin and you turn to Jesus Christ. Now, there is a category, I think, for the Christian to have a callous heart. That is a heart that has become hardened towards perhaps a particular sin. And this is what happens when one compromises with their convictions or with their truths. When you know what, to, what is right and you instead you do the opposite over and over again, what happens is your heart becomes hardened toward that particular wrongdoer, that particular sin, so that you no longer feel conviction. And the New Testament tells us to examine ourselves, to examine our own hearts, examine your hearts, and know whether or not your heart has become callous in any way, shape, or form towards a particular sin or particular area in your life. And have the, if, if that happens to be the case, right, you're not without hope. You continue to confess your sins to the Lord. Not only that, but you confess to the Lord that your heart has become callous in this certain way. And you pray that the Lord would convict you, that he would produce in you a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And even if there is a callousness in our heart, that we don't continue, right? That instead, that we do that we do what we are called to do and that is continue to follow the Lord and even confess those things to a brother or sister and that in doing all these things over time the heart becomes softened and that conviction is restored the spirit convicts concerning sin because they do not believe in me the spirit does convict of sin and more specifically, the sin of unbelief. John eight twenty four, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unbelief is a sin. And while as Christians, while we pray for the Lord's conviction upon our hearts, we want to grow in our conviction so we may continue to exemplify a Christ-like character. But the Spirit also convicts the world of the sin of unbelief, a failure to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to turn to Him, to acknowledge Him and admit to Him that He is Christ and Lord and Savior. Right? And that is what we pray for when we preach the gospel, that the Spirit would have His work and convict the person of sin of unbelief. 
so that they may have their sins forgiven because you cannot have your sins forgiven until you first believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit convicts concerning sin and he convicts concerning righteousness. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. In Matthew chapter 5, we have the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And also in that same context, in that same teaching, Jesus also says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. All in all, what Jesus is saying in those passages is that only those who are pure, only those who are holy, only those who are righteous will see God. That they will be with God. And that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God shows that he was perfectly righteous because God will not accept anything less than perfect righteousness. Not a little bit of righteousness, not a lot of righteousness, not even 99.9% righteousness, but 100% righteousness. In the day of judgment, Christians teach us that there is a day of judgment. And that day there will be a lot of people who will be shocked. And I'm sure even nominal Christians will be shocked to hear that they are not righteous. But God will say to them, you are not righteous. And the reason you're not righteous is because it's because you tried to be. The point of the gospel is that you can't be righteous. That no matter how hard you try, that no matter what you do, you can't earn it, you can't purchase it. That nothing you do can make you 100% righteous in the eyes of God. But also, the point of the gospel is to tell you that you need to stop trying so hard and instead just give up. Because the righteousness comes as a free gift through Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about trying hard. The gospel is about giving up by placing your faith in Christ and then receiving the righteousness of Christ, wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus purchased this righteousness for us so that through our faith in him, we can have, we can wear this righteousness so that even when you sin, God still sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ and sees you wearing that righteousness. And that it is the Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit of God that causes you to be born again so that you can wear this righteousness and then even desire to walk in that righteousness. Not as an effort to please, the, to, to, to earn that righteousness, but as an effort to, not, but as a, as a way to please the Lord, to walk in His ways because you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that the Spirit convicts concerning righteousness means that the Spirit convicts the world of their lack of righteousness. And that that righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ. And the Spirit convicts concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. 
In Matthew 12, 22, I won't read the whole passage to you, but essentially it's Jesus exercising a demon out of a man, and the Pharisees come and say that it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he do cast out demons, Jesus. And Jesus says, how can the house divided against itself stand? How can Satan cast out Satan? And then he concludes, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. The scriptures teach us that Satan is the ruler of this world. That he holds sway over the minds of unbelievers to keep them from leading the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus compares the devil to the strong man. That in order to come into the dominion of the strong man, well, a stronger man must come and bind the strong man. And then he can pilfer his house. Then he can plunder his goods. And that Jesus is that stronger man who has come into the world to bind the strong man and set the captives free so that they then become child or children of the living God. And that Christ has come and died and rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God means that the, that, that the ruler of this world has been judged. That a sentence has been rendered. And because that sentence has been rendered, then there will be action. And Revelation tells us that Satan and his minions will be cast out into the eternal lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And that this judgment of the rule of this world will also be representative of the judgment of all those who belong to his kingdom. Now, the purpose of the Spirit's conviction is not just to simply convict. Yes, he, want, he is here to convict the world of sin, the lack of righteousness, and of a coming judgment. But he comes to convict in order to spare people from that judgment. To provide a way of salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. The Spirit does not mean to convict and just leave us as we are, right? The Spirit comes to convict us and then provide us with the answer to a relief to those convictions through Jesus Christ. So the Spirit comes to convict the world of these things. And also through the Spirit, we can have the riches of Christ. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We have so many, so many blessings in Jesus Christ. And they're given to us, declared to us by the Spirit of God. In John 1.16, we read, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Right? Through Jesus we have grace. Not just grace, but grace upon grace. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer is that the church may be strengthened with power through the Spirit of God in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints where is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Romans 8.16 that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, with our souls, that we are children of God. Jesus Christ has purchased for us such incredible blessings through his death, burial, and resurrection in his ascension. And that the Spirit is given to us to get to declare to us these wonderful blessings. They're all mediated to us by the Spirit of God. The, Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of declaration. He is there in your hearts to declare to you these wonderful truths, these wonderful promises, these wonderful blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. You and I are the richest people on the planet. Not because we have a, an incredible amount of wealth. Not that wealth is a bad thing. But we are the richest people in the world because we have Jesus Christ. And that even having the Spirit of God dwell in our hearts is a rich blessing in itself. Because the Spirit of God is the seal of our adoption as sons and daughters of God. And as sons and daughters of God, we are giving an inheritance. And that the Spirit of God is also the seal of our redemption. And the Spirit is helper and is our comforter and is the one who guides us into all the truth. Right, that the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who reminds of all of these things and much more. And that this is where our true contentment comes from. Right, you can be content in poverty and even in plenty you can still be discontent by not having enough or not having the right things. So you can be discontent no matter where you find yourself in that spectrum. Right, but as sons and daughters of God, our contentment doesn't come from our material possessions. Our contentment comes from the rich blessings that we have through Jesus Christ mediated to us by the Spirit of God. We are incredibly rich. So find your contentment in that. And what's wonderful is that we have these things told to us in the scriptures as they are written to us by human authors who were carried along by the Spirit of God so that we may know these truths, so we may know what we have in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how rich you are, just go to the scriptures and you'll see for yourself. You'll read it for yourself. And so let us be content more than content, but joyful because of what we have in Jesus Christ. And may we also pray for a continual conviction upon our hearts given to us by the Spirit of God because we want to continue to walk in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to the Lord. So we need the Spirit to convict us of sin so that we may have that godly sorrow and turn to Jesus Christ because we love him and want to live to honor him and to please him. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for ascending and being in heaven, even right now, so that we may have the Spirit come upon our hearts and fill our church and and do this completely different ministry, the ministry of applying the salvific benefits to our lives. Remind us through your Holy Spirit of the rich blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And may you continue to bring conviction upon our hearts, Lord, because we want to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you for declaring these truths to us. And may we hold to them so firmly. We pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Why don't we just stand together and let's just respond and reflect on this truth uh, that God is just pouring and planting and rooting in our hearts this morning. Love the first line of this song, that Christ is my reward. Let's just sing this together. Christ is my reward in all of my devotion. We declare this. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy
Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no last song together this morning and just uh listen guys i have not led worship for live people in like six months and i'm having a hard time holding it together up here i'm not even gonna lie to you this is the sweetest thing for my soul uh so just i just love hearing your voices you're gonna know this song and um if i have to back up it's not because i'm trying to force you to sing it's because i i almost lost it earlier this is sweet uh let's never take for granted again meeting together amen this is so good. Come on. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Darkness seems to hide his face. When darkness seems to hide his face, come on, I just rest. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within. Cornerstone, we made strong. 
His oath is covered in His blood. Support me in the whelming flood. Come on, when all around, when all around, my soul gives way. I almost forgot that we were concluding. <laughs> uh, we read to us our benediction, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's a wonderful prayer that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. May you go out filled with the Spirit, and we'll see you uh, soon. You are dismissed. God bless you.